118. We'll be back in Psalm 118 on Tuesday night. Uh, this week, our midweek service will be on Tuesday evening. And uh, we'll be right back here and we'll look at this psalm in its entirety on Psalm 118. But I want to take some thoughts from it as well this morning. Uh, we get to this time of year and this holiday specifically that we focus on being thankful. Uh, it's funny how uh, everybody who complains all day long at work or goes on social media and gripes and complains for a little bit of time this week, they will take a moment to try to think about something they're thankful for. And I find it unique. Again, it's not a, uh, a Christian holiday in the sense that uh, we think of Christmas as so, although I think there's obviously Christian aspects to it um, and, and some foundations of that. But uh, to, to think, even if you're not specifically thanking a God or thanking the God for things, it's amazing how many people, especially in America, will focus on what they're thankful for uh, throughout this week. Funny story for you, I had my boss asked uh, uh, last week in a meeting, he asked, what are you guys thankful for? And uh, we were in a, in a meeting and, and a couple people, you know, family and different things like that. He's like, well, what about, what about at work? What are you thankful for at work? Because <laughs> nobody was saying anything they were thankful for at work. So somebody told him what he wanted to hear and, and then we were able to move on. But um, uh, it is funny how we focus in. It's, it's a wonderful thing to focus in on things we're thankful for. If we take time, and we, we need to do this on a regular basis, if we take time to think about what we're thankful for, it changes the outlook of our day. Um, it helps us, it encourages us. Uh, you know, it's a, the word would say positive thinking, but for me it's, it's less positive thinking, it's more about just understanding what God has done for me. When's the last time that you, your heart has been full of the goodness of God? Because that's really what thankfulness is to some degree. There are different aspects of it. But that understanding the goodness of God in my life. And when I have that understanding and that fullness of the goodness of God in my life, we begin to <clears throat> remember how good God is. And when we remember how good God is, it makes it so much easier for us to obey Him, to do what He wants us to do, to, uh, to live the life that He wants us to live. Psalm 118 is a good psalm on Thanksgiving. Uh, it covers other things, and we'll look at those other things on Tuesday night. But, uh, and there are other psalms and other passages of Scripture as well. But I like this passage of Scripture when it comes to Thanksgiving. I think we see five things that we should be thankful for. Uh, Martin Luther, he said of Psalm 118, he said, This psalm has uh, even a, uh, uh, is a special service to me. It has helped me out of many great troubles when neither em uh, employer nor king nor wise men nor saints could help. Uh, and by the way, Scripture can give you a help that no person can give you. Uh, scripture can encourage you. Scripture can challenge you. Scripture can motivate you. Uh, scripture can uh, uh, chastise you, discipline you, correct you uh, in a way that no person can. And it's why it's so important that we need to be in the scriptures and learning from them. But today I want us to look at five things we should be thankful for that we find here in Psalm 118. Let's pray and then we'll look at these five things. Lord, we do thank you for the opportunity to come this morning to open your word to spend time together as brothers and sisters in Christ and to focus in 
on the things that you've done for us. And I pray this morning you draw our hearts and our minds to the goodness of God. Lord, we'd be able to leave here not just thinking about the material things you've blessed us with, the family and house and vehicle and job and those sorts of things. That God, that we can understand there is a satisfying thankfulness, a satisfying fulfillness that comes from the goodness of God. So help us today to see that. Help me to present these verses clearly and correctly. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Five things we should be thankful for found here in Psalm 118. Let's start in verse number one. The Bible says, Oh, give thanks unto the Lord, for He is good, because His mercy endureth forever. Would you skip with me to verse number four, where it says, Let them now that fear the Lord say that His mercy endureth forever. First thing that we should be thankful for is God's mercy. God's mercy. To be able to look at uh, the, the everlasting mercy, the eternal mercy, the enduring mercy that God shows towards me is a wonderful, wonderful thought. Uh, mercy, just like grace, is, is not something you deserve. Yeah, God is blessing you. God is, is being so incredibly kind to you. It's, it's given... Uh, as the phrase loving mercy in other passages of Scripture. And to be able to look at this and understand that in spite of my sin uh, and, and, and uh, God just blessing me, God providing for me, God giving to me, God caring for me in a way that no one else ever will. Uh, David, who is a, the human author of a number of the Psalms, is, I think, a great example of the mercy of God. Uh, David is, is someone who God calls a man after God's own heart. And that's something that I strive to be. Uh, but David is one of these guys that is just unique and special. God had a plan for David that he did not have a, the same plan for really anyone else throughout history. Uh, David was a man who God chose as the king of Israel. If you remember back in the story, Israel said, I'm paraphrasing, we want to be like everybody else. We want a king. They didn't have a king. They followed God, and God, through his prophets, uh, led the way. And, and the people of Israel said, we want a king. We want someone who will rule over us. Now, as adults, don't we go, man... But I'd give to not have anyone rule over me. If I didn't have a boss, if I didn't have a president, if I didn't have whatever, yeah, man, I would just love that freedom. As kids, we think, oh, we don't want anybody to rule over us. The nation of Israel was stupid enough to say, we want someone to rule over us. We want a king. God uh, uh, allowed them to have a king. Saul was the first king. Saul was King Lee. Everything about him, from what we read about, he looked the part. He was big, he was strong, he was a soldier. Uh, I would assume he did not have a high-pitched voice. Uh, I would assume he was, and this is just pure assumption, I would assume he was somewhat of an orator to some degree. Uh, he was a natural leader. He was that guy that everybody looks at and goes, obviously they're going to pick him. Uh, right? That, that's what Saul was. David, on the other hand, was different. 
David was not puny, I don't believe. Uh, a lot of people will say, oh, David was this little weakling and things like that. He wasn't. He was just young. And so when he came on the scene, he was a young, young, uh, a young person, a teenager more than likely. And you remember David had a heart for uh, what was going on within his nation. Uh, he showed up to, to take his brothers some refreshments and some food and check in on them in the, in the middle of the, the battle. And he heard this giant out in the valley screaming obscenities and mocking God and mocking the army. And David, again, I am, I am paraphrasing, David said, hey, what's up with this guy? Why won't anybody shut him up? And basically, everybody said, we're too scared. Which is interesting, they were all trained military men. And David said, well, you know, I mean, I'll do it. David was, I don't think David was untrained necessarily, but he's not as trained as his brothers and the other soldiers there. He was still growing into that role. So David says, I'll do it. And, and, uh, and, and David was not prideful in doing this. His, his philosophy was, is this man is bad-mouthing our God, and God will help us defeat him. And you know, David marched down and, and uh, had some words for Goliath. Goliath had words for David, and David slung his sling, and the stone went and hit Goliath in the forehead. Goliath fell down. David chopped his head off. And all of a sudden, David was now well-known by everybody. He was a popular fellow, needless to say, so much to the point at one point they would come marching into the city after battle and people would chant, uh, Saul has killed his thousands and David his ten thousands. Um, Saul had killed more men than David. Saul had been in more battles than David. Saul was a, I personally believe, a better soldier than David. But David now was famous. And in that fame, though, in these early years of the story that we read about David, David was humble. He was not prideful in this matter. And he went on to live. And as a matter of fact, when God said, David, you're going to be on the throne, and Saul was trying to kill him, and the opportunity came to kill Saul, David said, don't touch him. In God's timing, I'll be placed on the throne. But we're not going to kill Saul. David had this heart that followed after God. But David made mistakes, did he not? David fell into sin. Some of it was pride sins as a king. Some of it was parental sins as a father. Some of it was immoral sins as a man. David has well chronicled in Scripture the sins that David has committed. But what we see is still David, even with those sins in his life, we get to read David's prayer to God of repentance, of God, I've done wrong. God, forgive me. See, that's what makes David ultimately a man after God's own heart, is even when he falls, he doesn't stay fallen. And I say that in the, in the, the human sense, right? As a Christian, even when I fall, I don't stay fallen because of what God's done for me. David had this perseverance. David had this, I truly believe it's just love for God. That even though he fell, even though he sinned, even though he did some, some really, really bad things, David always came back to God. Why could David do that? It's because of God's mercy. You see, 
at the end of the day, as, as I think David is a great illustration for us because we see his failures. At the end of the day, it's still not about David. <laughs> it's all about God. God's mercy poured out over David and, 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 and blessed David and God just loved David. And the reality is, is God loves me and God loves you the same. And God's mercy, it's an everlasting, it's an enduring mercy. It says it endureth forever in verse number one. It endureth forever in verse number four. It's a mercy that is never ending and always available. And that is something we should be thankful for in God's mercy. Number two, and this kind of fits in with it, but is God's care for me. We should be thankful for God's care for us. Verse number five, he says, I called upon the Lord in distress. The Lord answered me and set me in a large place. God's care for me. God hears me when I call. Last year, I looked out my kitchen window and a tree in our yard was on fire. The power lines were touching the tree. And so I thought, okay, what do we do? It wasn't near the house or anything. Nobody was in danger. But I thought, what do we do? So uh, I was like, we need to take care of this before you know, it spreads and something bad happens. Could not find the non-emergency number. So I was like, well, we'll just call 911 and they'll get us to where we need to go. So I call 911 and it rings a couple times and a lady answers, 911, what's your emergency? So I said, I hate to do this. I, said, it's not, I can't say it's necessarily an emergency, but there's a tree in our yard that's on fire and we need someone to come take care of it. And she asked for my address and I told her, and she goes, okay, well, this is actually the Madison County line. We're right there close to the line. And she said, I actually need to get you to the Fayette County line. I said, no problem. Thank you. She said, I'll transfer you. So the phone started to ring and it continued to ring. No one answered. This is 911. Phone's ringing, 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 ringing. And I was like, you got to be kidding me. Like, good thing my house isn't burning down. This is not good. So I tell my wife, you keep looking for, you know, you'd think Google would have found it faster. But you keep looking for the non-emergency number. I'm just going to drive to the fire station. There's one just up the road from our house. So I drive up to the fire station. I go knock on the door. There's nobody there. Oh, my goodness. I go back home. I'm, I call 911 again as I'm driving home. Uh, ring, 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 no answer. I get home, and my wife said, I found the non-emergency number. So we call the non-emergency number. Finally get a hold of somebody. And about 20 minutes later, fire department shows up. They were busy doing other calls. And uh, they show up, and then they couldn't leave until the power company was going to get there and all this kinds of stuff. And then eventually, after about an hour of them standing in our yard, they're like, hey, they couldn't spray anything because of the electrical wire. The fire died down. They said, we're going to leave. If you need something, give us a call. And I thought, you'll probably be busy. <laughs> so, but thank you. And I appreciated them very much for coming out and helping out. That's scary to think, man, if I'm in an, an emergency, that there's a chance that no one's going to answer. I can argue this is the importance of taking care of using your American freedoms, but this is not a sermon on that today. Uh, to understand that there, there could be a time where I need help and there will be no one to answer. That's scary. But see, the great thing about God is, is God always answers. 
And the reason why he answers is because he cares about me. I'm one of those people who will pull out my phone. If I don't recognize the number, I probably won't answer. And sometimes if I recognize the number, I still won't answer. Let's be honest, we're all that way. All right, so uh, in a day and age of text messages, let's go there first. And if it needs to be a phone call, we'll do that, okay? That's what I try to tell people that I don't want to talk to. Uh, <laughs> so I'm not telling you that. I'm telling everybody else that. Uh, <laughs> so we see that God, he answers when we call. My, my, what I've adopted as my life verse is Jeremiah 33, 3. Call unto me, and I will answer thee, and I will show thee great and mighty things which thou knowest not. Meaning that when I have a need... I can call on God. And not only can I call on Him, but He's going to respond to me. And not only is He going to respond to me, He is going to show me something that I was not anticipating, something better than what I was hoping for. And when I call on God, He's going to answer. And here in the verse, in verse number 5, it says, I called upon the Lord in distress. So He's in, in a great need. And he says, he answered me, but not only that, he answered me. He set me in a large place, meaning he, he picked me up and he placed me in a safe place. He took me out of the problem, out of the distress, out of the, the, the trial, and he placed me somewhere with a firm footing. That's what that means. Why? Because he cares about me. And I'll tell you what, as a Christian, we should be so thankful that God cares for me. We should be thankful for God's mercy. We should be thankful that God cares for me. Number three today, we should be thankful that God is with me. He's present with me. I'll tell you what, I've never worshipped another God. But from what I read, Buddha is not with anybody. From what I read, the sun gods and the moon gods and the Whatever gods, they, they're not present with people. My God is with me. Look in verse number 6. It says, uh, the Lord is on my side. I will not fear. What can man do unto me? The Lord taketh my part with them that help me. Therefore shall I see my desire upon them that hate me. We see the safety that God provides in verse number 6. When he says, the Lord is on my side. If God be for us, who can be against us? The Lord's with me. God is fighting for me. He's on my side. Uh, do you remember as a kid picking teams for things? It depends on what you were picking the team for of who you're going to pick first. <clears throat> right? Uh, if you're playing basketball... Uh, you might not pick the same guy that you're going to pick if you're playing football. If you're playing dodgeball, you might not pick the same guy that you're going to pick if you're playing football. Uh, if, you're, if you're playing hide-and-go-seek, you're not going to pick the same guy. You're going to pick different people depending on what you need, right? Whatever's going to help you win. Uh, and I remember in school we played, uh, we played a lot of football and we played a lot of kickball. In school, and uh, you know what? It's just, it's just a difference. Sometimes the more athletic in football, you want the big people because you don't want them hitting you. So, so you get the big people on your team. Uh, and in dodgeball, you want the guy that can kick the furthest, uh, run the fastest, those kinds of things. 
Well, God is always on my team. And if we can paraphrase and use the cliche, the game of life, not the board game, real life. God is with me. And it says there in verse number six, I will not fear. And he asks the question, what can man do unto me? If God's on my side, what can anybody do to me? They can't do anything to me that God will not allow. They cannot do anything to me that God does not see as profitable for me. Because God is on my side. So I'm not going to fear what they can do to me. There's that feeling of safety. He even says in verse number 7, and we talked about this recently in a different message, the Lord taketh my part with them that help me. Not only do we have the people who are against me and understand that God's on my side, but man, those that are good to me, God, God blesses them too. But look in verse number 8 and verse number 9. It is better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in man. And it's better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in princes. Because God is with me, I know I have the provision of God. And a lot of times we'll put our trust and our confidence in a person to take care of our needs. Or in a government to take care of our needs. The people of Israel, they wanted a king. They had God. But they put their confidence in Saul. And there were problems as a result of that. For years and years and years and years and decades and centuries to come. Who's your confidence in? Listen, just like the children of Israel had God and they chose Saul, you have God. Who do you choose? Sometimes as a, I'm not speaking on experience, but as a wife, you have the, the confidence in your husband to provide for the family. And there is biblical aspects to that as well. But ultimately, our confidence should be in God. As a child, we have confidence in our parents. And that's wise. That's good. Because the Bible, God set up the family, a picture of God in the family. Ultimately, our confidence should be in, in, in God. Sometimes as a, a, a working person, you trust your boss to provide for your needs. The reality is our confidence should be in God. As Americans, sometimes we put all, place all our hope in whoever is elected as president and governor and senators and all those other positions. The reality is our confidence should be in God. I have God on my side. He's with me. So it is better for me to trust in Him than to put confidence in any person. It's a reason or a result of the fact that God is with me. We should be thankful for that. We should be thankful that God is merciful. We should be thankful that God cares for me. We should be thankful that God is with me. Number four, a unique one, we should be thankful for God's punishments. Even now, I don't do a great job of looking back and being thankful for the discipline that my parents gave me. I still remember them very fondly. Um, but 
I, don't, I don't look back and go, man, I'm sure so thankful that my dad spanked me. Uh, you know, I'm so thankful that uh, my mom spanked me. I'm so thankful that, um, you know, I didn't get away with that whatever. In the grand scheme of things, I guess I am because it geared and guided and directed me to where I am. But it's hard to look back and go, man, I'm sure thankful for that. I use the word jokingly, beating. Uh, my parents didn't beat me, they did spank me. Uh, I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm thankful that I had parents who loved me enough to correct me. But remember, parents are a picture. It's in an institution that God designed in marriage and in family, in the home. And God designed the institution of the home to resemble the picture of God. So sure, the husband is the head of the home and he's supposed to love his wife as Christ loved the church. He's supposed to chastise his children, discipline his children as Christ disciplines his children. And in knowing that God does it, I know that there is an aspect of it that I need to be thankful for. Because God doesn't do anything that's bad. Look in verse number 18. The Bible says, The Lord hath chastened me sore, but he hath not given me over unto death. What does that tell you about the discipline that this psalmist had experienced with God? He chastened me sore. I don't know about you. I don't know about your upbringing. But if I ever said, My dad chastened me sore, you better believe I wasn't kidding. <laughs> Something was sore. Um, it meant the discipline was, was real. That it had an impact. That I remembered it. I never once doubted that my dad loved me while he was disciplining me. For one reason, he made clear the fact that he loved me before and after. He never disciplined me angrily. And I'm thankful for that because I know not everybody's experienced that the way that I have. But if God chastens you sore, you better believe you've been through something. You better believe that it left an impact, a mark or so to say. But it says there, I love it at the end of the verse where he says, but he hath not given me over unto death. He has disciplined me, and I'm going to use this terminology, and please understand it, because um, I don't want it to come across wrong. But he has, he has taken me as low as he can take me. I use the word beaten me down, but not like an abusive beaten me down. He, he has broken me down very, very low, humbled me to a low point. But he has not given me over to death. He's not, and he's not given up on me. He has, as a potter, would break down a vessel that was not correct, taken it back down to nothing to build it back up to something. And that's what God does in his correction and his discipline of us. He hasn't given me over to death. He's restoring me. He is allowing me to be built back up because... That's how God disciplines. He corrects. Proverbs 3.12, For whom the Lord loveth, he correcteth, even as a father, the son in whom he delighteth. Hebrews 12.6, For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth. Because God loves me, he disciplines me. 
And listen, the truth is if a parent loves their child, they're going to discipline their child. Because if they don't, their child's going to grow up and he's going to be an absolute horrible human being. And he's going to be a problem at work. and He's going to have a hard time holding on to work. And he's going to have a really rough life because he never learned how to obey. That's the picture that God gives to us. He says, God loves you. And because God loves you, when you do wrong, he disciplines you. But he does it. He chastens you. He corrects you. He doesn't just spank you. He, he, he spanks you and he tells you, this is why I spanked you. And this is how you can avoid getting another spanking. He corrects you, puts you right back where you need to be, sets you back on path. The same way that a father is supposed to do to a child. And the fact that he loves me, he chastens me. And look, in verse number 24, he reminds us with this discipline. It says, this is the day which the Lord hath made. The day in which I have been chastened. The day in which I've been blessed. The day that is good, the day that is bad. This is the day that God's made. And because God's made it, I'm going to rejoice in it. When we go through that discipline of God, because God loves us, we should be thankful that God loves us enough to punish us. Think of Jonah. <laughs> Jonah, an interesting character in Scripture, really, really unique. Jonah was a prophet of God, and God said, Jonah, I want you to go and preach to Nineveh. Jonah hated Nineveh. Nineveh was an enemy of his people. Nineveh, more than likely, had uh, um, done some brutal things to family members of Jonah, more than likely. And Jonah said, I don't want to preach to Nineveh. What happens if they repent? He said, I want them to burn. So Jonah runs from God. Jonah goes and gets on a boat. Big storm comes. Everybody's trying to figure out what's going on. They're trying to lighten the load of the boat. They're figuring all these things out. And finally it came to the realization, and Jonah said, hey, the storm, it's a result of me. I've disobeyed God. I've run from God. Now, first of all, it opened the eyes to the guys on the boat of who Jonah's God was and what Jonah's God was capable of. But eventually, they didn't want to do this, but Jonah told them to do it, and they eventually did it. They threw him over the boat. He goes in the water, splash, and uh, he's probably treading water and trying to figure out what's going to happen now, if he's going to die, whatever happens. And all of a sudden, this in the Old Testament says big fish, and the New Testament says a whale comes and, and swallows Jonah whole. The storm stops. The people on the boat are probably thinking, what just happened? Uh, but Jonah's sitting in the belly of this fish. Um, you know, I always think of, I know, here goes, pastor's bringing up a movie again. Um, I always think of Pinocchio when I think of Jonah, uh, even though I know it had nothing like this. But anyways, uh, no lights. I would assume it doesn't smell great. Um, but he's safe inside the fish belly. And after some time, Jonah comes and says, God, I did wrong. Please forgive me. I'll obey. And the God had the fish swim over to the shore, get sick. We'll correct all this heresy in just a couple, you know, several weeks down the road. Uh, and spits him up. This is a true story. He spits him up, and Jonah is now safe back on dry land. So Jonah goes to Nineveh, and Jonah preaches the message that God told him to preach. And guess what? Nineveh repented from the top down. The king, national repentance, an incredible story. 
But Jonah wasn't happy about it. And I sit here and I think sometimes about Jonah. And I think this guy, he was corrected by God. He was spared. He got swallowed up by a fish. It wasn't a pleasant experience for Jonah. And he got corrected and he went and he obeyed God. But then after he obeyed God, he went right back to sin. And I have to look back at my life at the different times that God has corrected me. And I admit there are times where I go, God, thank you. Because had he not corrected me, what would have I done? When I went to Bible college, I was running from God. I had no interest in serving God. I spent my whole life in ministry. My dad was in ministry. I spent my whole life in ministry serving, working hard, uh, doing things for others. And, and I enjoyed that aspect, certain aspects of it, but I was just ready to be done with it. And I went to Bible college. My parents said we had to go, and we went to Bible college. And, I, you know, I knew I wasn't allowed to get kicked out. I knew I'd be in big trouble. So I was, I was going to obey enough rules to stay in college and things like that. But I was running. And God did certain things in my life, some that weren't punishments, some that were just keeping me where I needed to be. He put people in my life. Uh, my pastor was very, very influential in this in, in Wisconsin. Um, certain people at, at the college were as well. But it wasn't until God just grasped my heart. And I remember I can look back at it now and see things that God did, things that I wanted that God didn't give me that would have continued to lead me down a path that would have been dangerous. Uh, things that God brought into my life that I believe were punishments to correct me at times. After that, when I've committed, I committed then to do what God wanted me to do, and, and I, I changed my major, and I was, uh, then my plan was to follow and do what God wanted me to do. And, but there were still times along that path that I did wrong. And there were still times that God would come across and, and discipline. And although I know, I, I still can never look back and go, boy, I sure love getting spanked. I can look back and be grateful for the fact that not only did my parents love me enough to discipline me when I did wrong, my God loves me enough to discipline me and correct me and keep me where he wants me to be. Because anytime I get outside of the will of God, joy doesn't follow. And so I'm thankful for that. Lastly, the last thing I want us to look at this morning we should be thankful for God's mercy. We should be thankful for God's care, thankful that God is with me, thankful that, uh, for God's punishments. And the last thing I want us to look at is in verse number 28, where the psalmist says, Thou art my God, and I will praise thee. Thou art my God, I will exalt thee. We should be thankful that God is mine. Throughout the Old Testament, we see different things where God tells the nations that I, I, as he brings them out of captivity and brings them out of disciplined moments, he says, I will be their God and they will be my people. It's not that he stopped being their God, it's that they stopped obeying him. And in that restoration, he says, I will be their God and they will be my people. And I believe with all my heart, 
that God is the same with us. That when He brings us out of these disciplinary times, when we come back to Him from running from Him, He says, I will be your God and you will be my child. And we see here in in this psalm where He says, Thou art my God. God should be personal to you. He's not the God of Bible Pathway Baptist Church. He's your God. He's not the God of America. He's my God. Is He the God of the world? Sure, but He's my God. And when I understand the personalness of God, when I understand the the relationship that God wants and desires to have with me, and He says, I'm here and I'm waiting for you, and the moment you come to me, I am your God. The psalmist here came to the realization, you're my God, and because you're my God, I will praise you. Because you're my God, I will exalt you. He says, oh, give thanks unto the Lord, for he is good, for his mercy endureth forever. The good God, the merciful God, the loving God, the caring God, uh, the, 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 the righteous judge of a God is my God. The creator of the world, the savior of the world, he's my God. And because he's mine, I'll praise him. And if he's yours, you should praise him. What a wonderful thing to have a God that gives a personal relationship with those that believe him. I think back to the story, and again, we'll look at this in our Sunday afternoon services at some point, to the prophets up on the mountain. You had the prophet of God and you had the prophets of Baal. And they had a competition, for lack of a better word, to see whose God was real. I believe the prophets of Baal were trying to figure out whose God was most powerful. But God was going to show them whose God was real. And the prophets of Baal, they did their chants and they did their dances. They eventually were cutting themselves and screaming and crying out, for their God to send down uh, a fire and light their sacrifice. And the prophet of God had them bring up water and drench his sacrifice. So much so there was a a canal of water uh, around the bottom of his sacrifice altar. And with a simple prayer, God sent down so much fire, such a hot fire, such a consuming fire, that it absolutely destroyed everything that was there, the sacrifice, the altar. It took all the water that was there and dried it all up. And this magnificent show of who God is. That God's my God. Moses had a fearful people standing with him, feeling they were trapped between the army of Egypt and the Red Sea with nowhere to go. And the Red Sea split wide open 
and the children of Israel walk through on dry ground. That God's my God. The New Testament Saul, that we better know as Paul, was a filthy, rotten, wicked human being. He abused, tortured, arrested, just because people worshipped God. And one day, on a trip, God came down and showed him who he was. And Paul put his faith in Jesus Christ. And Paul became one of the people that we look at as the most faithful Christians in all of history. That same God that changed Paul's life is my God. And we can go on story after story after story of the Bible. That God's my God. And that God's your God, and there should be a result from that. If God is personal to you, you should praise Him. You should be thankful that God is yours. And God is mine. I grew up in church my whole life, and I admit there were times where I kind of viewed a person on the pulpit, whether it was a missionary, someone sharing their testimony, something going on where I thought, man, that's really cool that God would do that for them. And really not comprehending that God could do that and more for me. Taste and see that the Lord is good. That'll bring you to a moment of thanksgiving. Why should we thank, be thankful for? What should we be thankful for? Excuse me. For God's mercy, that God cares, that God is with me, for God's punishment, and that God is mine. And I'm sure you can think of more things as well, but those are some things that we see here in Psalm 118. May we be thankful today and tomorrow and the next day and so on and so forth for all the things that God is for us. Lord, I pray for your help. I pray that we would be thankful. We have plenty of things that go on in life that, that discourage us. And we have plenty of things that go on in life that, that cause doubt or lack of faith in our life. God, may you always keep our minds and our hearts focused on the goodness of you. That God, not just this week as we celebrate Thanksgiving, but that on a daily basis we can live a thankful life because of who you are. So Lord, help us to be what you want us to be, I pray in Jesus' name. Heads bowed and eyes.